0: One of my friends like comics. This is a podcast where a comic book enthusiast talks to a newcomer about a piece of work in the medium, and we break it down to see if my friend, the first-time reader, will pull it or drop it. I'm your host, Nick Poffenbarger, my co-host today is the returning guest, Chris Ashlock. I'm back, baby. You're back. What up, boy? Oh, you know. (laughs) This is the part where we pretend like we weren't talking right before we started recording. We weren't. Yeah. Like, you just came in, and we're, like, fucking silent.
1: You, literally right before this, you were, like... I got to make sure I finished my notes for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> Doesn't count as talking.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, um, we are back talking about an indie book today, kind of by your suggestion. Yeah. Um, what did we talk about last time? Ghost in the Shell? Oh, yeah. That was the we last did. time you were on. Yeah, okay. Yeah. When you hosted. So, um, you know, uh, ironically enough, so this episode, um, as, you know, maybe some of you attuned listeners can see uh this is coming out late (laughs) uh, i was supposed to actually release an episode today when we're recording this but uh because of some schedules mix-ups and whatnot um uh, i have this three-parter planned that's coming up after this episode and i actually hit you up to do an episode on the fly something quick we could do because uh, i needed to fill a spot however uh you and me and a host of my other friends and family all got sick at the same time. So, uh, we had to push this back anyway, but I really wanted to do this episode still. So we're doing it.
1: <laughs> so, i glad I can be here to fill a
0: hole. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, you had said, because I didn't have an idea for a book off the bat that I wanted to talk about. I just kind of threw it in your court and was like, Hey, you know, you want to do an episode, something quick we can do. And you said that, uh, You wanted to do something not Marvel or DC.
1: Yeah, yeah. Something just fresh for you. Well, so ever since you got into comics, like really got into comics versus I think some of the rest of us that are kind of, I don't know, fair weather comic readers or we like comics, but we're not we're not fully immersed like you are. I've always heard you kind of mention indie titles and stuff like that, which I know absolutely nothing about. Yeah. And the thought of doing something DC or Marvel, as I kind of said to you. Off mic That's that's like home That's where I live Yeah You have some familiarity At yeah. least like you I, know. Wanna, I wanna travel I wanna see new things Yeah That I've never You know Fucking Batman is gonna be <laughs> He may be 80 years old already I think he turned 80 He is He is It's <laughs> like That's not going anywhere That's an institution That's true It's fine It's gonna be there I wanna go see all these other things Where you know Indie imprints I think they have a lot more leeway To just do whatever the fuck they want That's true um, uh, so, so it like, turn me on to that good indie shit. Yeah.
0: Um, so I have a, uh, I mean like basically just that sentiment towards indie comics. I mean like, um, I can't, uh, this sounds so silly because it's such a broad term, but it's like, I can't recommend independent comics enough to people like who are trying to get into comics as, as, as odd as that may sound, because most people just want to get into the big stuff um Marvel and DC, which is, yeah, you know, as, as we've talked about on the show before, um, uh, is, uh. A little harder to pinpoint um dependent on where they want to start um it, it's there's a lot of caveats uh dependent on who wants to and where they want to go with that stuff and i love fucking long-standing continuity superhero comics that's my shit but uh i feel like um and this book is a prime example the one that we're talking about today which we will get to in a second but um <laughs> but uh like you've seen the title you know what it is yeah (laughs) but um this book is a prime example of uh why i felt so lucky to have jumped into comics when i did because it was kind of a part or during the time of like what i would refer to as like the second uh image revolution okay of books um wherein uh, you get things like saga and the walking dead which which both had been around for a little while but um you know they uh they they kind of paved the way, and um, all of a sudden, these random indie books—a sci-fi, a sci-fi opera, and a uh, zombie book—were outselling Batman and Spider-Man for a time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, and the thought of uh, just jumping into a title that you don't need any um, context for, something that just tells its own story from issue one to issue, however long it goes, is really appealing when you're first starting comics and you just want a good story. You know? Yeah, like, and it gives you. Perspective on things, and uh, and it turns on to a lot of creators that you might you know see work on some of your favorite superheroes later on or something you know. So it's a yeah. uh, it's it's a uh, yeah. I can't recommend this avenue enough. And um, we've talked about indie books on this show before, but this one is kind of special because it was one of the first independent books that I was actively reading as it was coming out. Um, and that book today that we're talking about is Five Ghosts from Image Comics by uh, Frank Barberi and Chris Mooneyham.
1: So you've been there since the beginning, essentially.
0: Yes, yes. Um, uh, I think the first trade was actually out when when I got into this, mm. but I followed it like right after that. Um, okay, because the initial um trade that we're talking about today, the first five mm. issues, was initially all that the series was. It was a mini series. Like even on the issues that I have, it says like one of five or whatever. So, uh, and it was successful enough that they got to do more. But uh, yeah. So five ghosts is what we are talking about today and uh, it's got kind of an interesting history that we can get into a little bit for our little facts and background section here, please. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about first impressions and uh, what you were what you were this thinking is all new to it. me too. Yeah. So um, this book uh, was actually initially funded through Kickstarter. Oh, uh, okay. the, the first issue at least. Um, uh, it was pretty successful. And, um, they actually premiered it at uh, New York comic con in 2012 was when they had like their official release, like with the end of the Kickstarter and they were like given you know, selling copies and, uh, people were getting their, their issues and whatnot. Um, and it was right after that show that, um, one of the, uh, uh proprietors of uh, image comics contacted, um, the writer Frank Barbary. And, uh, he was like, Hey, we want to put out this book. And he was like, okay, great. So, so they got onto Image, you know, after self-publishing the first issue. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um. Good the, for him. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so this book, um, premiered through Image, uh, with issue number one in March of 2013. And, uh, the first arc that we're talking about today concluded in July of the same year. Um, like I said, released through Image Comics, written by Frank Barberry. Um, if I say Barbier at any point in this, uh. I apologize, but um that's what I've called him for years until I looked it up for this episode. It's <laughs> Barbary. Barbary. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. And which is really funny. Side note here, I looked up a bunch of interviews with him and nobody fucking introduces him at the beginning of the interview. So Probably I because they're scared. Yeah, and well and then but then <laughs> but then he won't introduce himself or they just say Frank. He's like So I'm like, God damn it. And like and then like I found like
1: three examples. He's, he's not staring him down, going like, "Are you gonna, are you gonna do this?" I've met him he's before like, too. <laughs> and like, and Nothing. I, I didn't ask him how oh. to pronounce his name, but but you should uh, have just gone up and said "Barbier." <laughs> it was like Frank. <laughs> I I was just like five ghosts, right? Frank B. <laughs> like,
0: but uh, yeah. So like you know. It, it, uh, by the way okay yeah about those interviews though the ones that i did find where they pronounce it everybody pronounced it different i mm-hmm. finally found one where he says his name and i was like okay Barbary, that's it there you but, go. <laughs> but uh uh unless yeah. he's fucking with everyone yeah that's it, true <laughs> which i guess be. he has the right at that point <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh it is drawn by uh chris mooneyham and uh those two actually met um and became collaborators in the late 2000s uh mooneyham is an alumni of the joe Kubert school of art and a uh, Barbaria, he, he grew up in the town like over from the school. So they met through like a mutual friend and started working together on various projects. Five Ghosts was the first like successfully funded and produced one. Um, it's also colored by uh, S.M. Vidari. And um, I guess just to give like a short description here, Five Ghosts is like a pulpy action throwback comic that follows a man known as Fabian Gray. Uh, he's an adventurer who has gained the extraordinary or cursed ability to call upon five different literary inspired ghosts that grant him various abilities are we going with fabian or fabian (laughs) frank (laughs) barberry says fabian fabian's much better good good for him but i think i i naturally go to fabian though really yeah yeah like i don't know why that's just what my
1: head goes to i go fabian fabian sounds cooler fabian sounds like oh what's what's the guy that has a picture of himself that ages dorian gray dorian gray yeah I don't know why Fabian, Fabian, Dorian, I guess they don't sound that similar. Fabian definitely sounds cooler. I think. Yeah. Fabian just reminds me of Fabio.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which I, he he might be cool in his own right. Maybe if he was drawn differently, he'd be like, no, this guy's a Fabian. Yeah. The the dude in Five Ghosts looks like
0: a Fabian. He does look like a Fabian. Yeah. So like, um, I guess I I could go into the first experience, even though I said a little bit about it earlier, but, um, this is one of the earlier indie books that I got into. And I was kind of immediately just taken by the concept. It was Mm -hmm. one of those that like, I heard the pitch and it was like, that sounds fucking cool. You know? (laughs) And like, and, uh, it was an easy thing for me to like recommend to friends. And like, I even had some coworkers who were like interested in comics at the time. And this was like the trade that I passed around to people for a little while. Um, you know, and, uh, it definitely put Barbary and Mooneyham in my mind as like standout creators. And I always notice their names when I see them on things, even though the things that I see them on are pretty limited now. I don't see Mooneyham, especially. I don't see him on a lot. Barbary, um, he'll pop up with like a mini series every now and then, you know, for for a, for a random publisher. Um, so in regards to this title, though, too, I just have to say, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the wrap up at the end. But unfortunately, this title didn't go much further than the three trades that are out right now. Um, it only has two more arcs after this one we're talking about today, neither of which are like a, a definitive conclusion to the main story. We'll talk about that a little bit later, like I said. Um, but um, had you had you heard of this book before I mentioned it? Like, Because I just sent you like a list of some random indies, like five or something that no. off the
1: top of my head. No. Uh- Kind of what you were saying a little bit ago about recommending indie books to people. I was thinking about that, and I can't help but wonder if the reason why indies aren't... Well, okay, it's- Marvel and DC, I mean, those are those are juggernauts. Those are those are cultural icons. Yeah. So it makes sense that more people would gravitate towards that. But I can't help but wonder if the reason why maybe people aren't as familiar with these indie books is because of how much DC and Marvel there is. If someone gets into Batman, for example, they have Oh, you got to read Dark Knight Returns. You got to read year one. You got to read, I don't know, Court of Owls. It's just like all this stuff laid out for them. Like, well, I want to read that. Yeah. Yeah. And they get hooked. And, you know, the cycle repeats itself once they move on to Green Lantern or Flash or they get into Marvel and you got event comics. And there's just so much out there. Yeah. That someone can sustain themselves on that stuff for years and years. Oh, yeah. It, it I mean, may not be can... until you get to be, you know, in your 30s like me, where you're like, I've I've been there. What what else we got? Yeah.
0: And some people <laughs> don't even do that. They're still going at those piles of Marvel and DC stuff uh, you know without. Hey, work, and you could you, you could you feasibly know, could, you know. But yeah. But yeah, I mean like, you know, you got to get some variety in there. But um, Yeah. But yeah, no, I I can understand that. I I think the the key with a lot of indie books though, too, is the fact that um a lot of those readers who you find who really are just kind of invested in indie books, um they're kind of trade waiters. They don't go like to the comic book store every week for the books. And, and that kind of makes sense too, because these indie books, you know, it's like, they might get like an arc out like saga is a, is a, the, the biggest example where yeah. it's like, you know, they'll do an arc, take a few months off or a couple of years in the fact of the last one. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, you know, and then come back eventually. And then, but a lot of people, you know, will just Google like, when's the next trade of Saga comes out?
1: Yeah. Okay. You that's a, like, that's a good like, point because whenever I was going to the store to buy comics, I would always walk by the indie rack and every, you know, week or two when i would go by it's like completely different than what it was the week before Mm -hmm. and i think maybe that in itself was like well, shit i don't know what if i get into something is it ongoing and then it's it's gone for six months yeah then it's gone and so maybe that in itself is a bit uh unapproachable for some people it's just a little harder
0: um you know the less consistent but i will say like um not always but uh It's kind of endearing because, like, the quality is usually... Because it's the same creative team, usually, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, you get the same quality product and they seem to care a bit more because it's like you know this is something personal to them it's not like you know just uh, we gotta yeah. get the next,
1: next issue of spider-man out or whatever, yeah i definitely know. got that sense from this
0: yeah yeah
1: and I, they, for uh what'd you call them trade waiters yeah trade waiters uh, image <laughs> makes some really nice hardcover. they do yeah and they're and they're usually pretty affordable too uh yeah
0: yeah <laughs> <Veritatively> <laughs> so, speaking yes yeah so that's always nice as well um but yeah, I mean, like, um, I guess like, you know, if you're looking for something like it it is a bit more of a gamble with indie stuff, you know, but like, mm. but at the same time, like a lot of the time you get an ending to a story, which, you know, you don't get too often with yeah. superhero comics. So that's kind of a nice change of pace, you know? Uh, yeah. I was always appreciate that. Yeah. You can get a good ending. So, I mean, um, did you have any like particular expectations after I, cause I think I just elevator pitched that one to you. I was like, It's a it's a adventure story that's kind of
1: pulpy and it's got some horror elements in it. I think within the span of a week or two, you said, here's the list. I said, okay, that one I came over, I got it, I took it home. And that's like I I had nothing other than what did you say? Pulp adventure. Pulp adventure with some horror in it. Yeah, that was literally (laughs) it. And I didn't even start to think like, what could this be? I just said, that sounds cool. I'll give that a shot. Yeah. And then getting into it kind of. Having a blank slate, I was like, if I expected anything, this is definitely not what I was expecting. Well, that's cool. And then it continued <laughs> to just sort of, you know, evolve from there. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, shit. I mean, uh, let's just uh, go ahead and jump on into the story portion then where it. we, uh, this is where we recap the story, uh, kind of beat for beat and um, give our like reactions, opinions, whatever the hell we want to talk about during the story for context for our discussion. And uh, yeah, so full spoilers ahead, everybody, for five ghosts. The first trade. Uh, I don't even think I said the name of this story. It's called The Hunting of Fabian Gray. Yeah,
1: it's got <laughs> it's- a longer
0: title. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, let's get into it. Um, we start this book off. Um, uh, we are in Austria outside of a castle fortress located in some mountainous range. And uh, we meet our hero, Fabian Gray, who we see attempting to break into this place. Uh this is presented to as kind of like a recent flashback because we have caption boxes that are letting us uh, in on a conversation between Fabian and a yet to be revealed person basically talking about him breaking into this place. Um so th- yeah, the future conversation establishes how Fabian was hired to break into this castle and it's occupied by Nazis. Um fucking Nazis. Th- yeah, <laughs> um uh, the person Fabian is talking to is the one who's hired him to do this job and uh as Fabian reflects on the event, we get the premise of the book, which is Fabian is a treasure hunter who has the spirits of five ghosts within him. They give him various abilities and powers. Uh, These ghosts, I'll run through them real quick, are the wizard, the archer, the detective, the samurai, and the vampire. And um, I have to say, you know, you look anything up about this book, this is like all over the pitches for it. But um, uh, I love how these personas are like introduced in this like opening sequence. Like and because, you know, it's subsequently kind of utilized like in the whole book. Like we see Fabian like he shoots an arrow on the first page. With, like, a rope to slide, like, into the castle, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but when he pulls the arrow, we see the ghostly image of, like, the archer behind him, like, mimicking his movements. Um,
1: and that's, like, a recurring motif. So I, I gotta say, I know the archer is most likely supposed to be, like, Robin Hood or something. Yes. But <laughs> me being Green Arrow, being my favorite comic book superhero, <laughs> just, I mean, it's Ollie. <laughs> just, just the best way to open a book ever yeah. is, like, giving me Green Arrow vibes. because. Yeah. This boy kind of looks like Green Arrow. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. That's he true. Kinda, he kind of he kind of won me over from there even if that wasn't the intention. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. And I will say too, uh Frank uh
0: Barbary, he has said specifically like, you know, so the uh each persona is like, you know, the wizard is Merlin, you know, and like <laughs> OK, and uh, okay. you know, it's Robin Hood is the archer, um the vampire's Dracula, uh who the detectives Detective Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes yeah. and um uh, the samurai is the one Miramaso Musashi Miyamoto. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's the one. Um, uh, like he's he's always like people always miss that one, but yeah, it's like. But he was also very clear. I, to say, I got
1: that one, but that's because I'm a fucking weeb. So,
0: <laughs> but like he also says, like you know, um, in the pitches and they go into it in the book later as well too. But they're not the literal ghosts of these people. Like as if these people existed, it's like they are described as literary ghosts. Like the, like the okay. like the all the versions of these characters like. You know, put into like an actual persona,
1: which yeah. is, which is interesting. Well, like, I know for the lore, the way they. I know they didn't quite explain it in this volume, but when you get to that bit later, where it kind of goes into them, I kind of picked up on like, yeah, these they kind of spell it out, but not enough to like. I was like, yeah, these don't. It doesn't seem like he's carrying around the literal soul of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't like no one. I don't get the sense that Sherlock Holmes was a real person in this world. And then yeah. he's like, I have the ghost to help me Sherlock Holmes. Yeah.
0: If anything, the only one that <laughs> the only ghost in this particular volume that has like real defined personality is the vampire. And which like, Vladimir the impaler was a real person. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of makes a bit more sense. I yeah. guess. Um, but yeah, so like, uh, so anyway, back to, you know, he's, he's, going into this castle, right? And um, the whole intro is just a scenario in which we get like a sample of Fabian's powers and his skills. You know, he does the archery to get in, uses magic from the wizard to fight some guards. He's uh, he the detective persona to find a secret room where a giant gym is hidden. And uh, we then get the samurai persona when some other guards confront him. And uh, we end it when Fabian is cornered by too many of them. And we see his eyes go red with the vampire persona. And uh, I love how the panels like just kind of cut to the current day conversation before we see him just savagely rip these Nazis apart. (laughs) Like it's like that, that whole sequence ends with like a good line from Fabian too, where he says, uh, he says, trust me, Jez with the things I've seen and done, you start to believe that some things are beyond explanation. Some things you just can't control. And that's like right when he fucking loses it. Yeah. It's, it's just some cool pacing, you know, right off the bat, I think, um, So like, as I was saying, we we then cut to the modern conversation where we find Fabian in bed with uh, said Jez in Barcelona. And um, I also dig how in just a few pages, like we get his personality down pretty quick. We know he's like a skilled, troubled guy, be kind of but he could be, you know, kind of reserved and snarky, too. You know, it's like he's he's just a a cool pulpy (laughs) protagonist guy. He's like
1: all the cool parts of a pulp action hero.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: but he's got, he's got, a, you know, the troubled past and he's stuff. got, yeah, it's <laughs> he's a, he's a suave, adventurous ladies, man who has a, he likes trouble, but he's got a bit of a troubled past. Yeah. Tall, dark, and handsome. Not that kind of trouble, <laughs>
0: you know? But yeah. So, uh, we see that Fabian has, uh, brought Jez the jewel from the Nazi castle, the one that he found using the detective skill. And, uh, they talk about how, you know, he has to go off on some other adventure because of some unfinished business. And, uh, We cut to where he's on a train ride back to London and Fabian has this dream where he sees a woman falling and screaming out for him to help her. But she's tragically pulled down by this like endless dark tentacle root looking like arms and shit. <laughs> like It's pretty cool. And Like he's awoken by the train announcement that they've arrived in London and uh, goes out and we meet another character, Sebastian, who's like this skinny glasses wearing wisecracker kind of character guy. And uh, Sebastian and Fabian go back to the biggest state right outside of London where we get like this big context scene. And uh, they have this conversation that reveals the job Fabian was on uh, for Jez was you know, about more than just hunting down a family jewel for her. Uh, they thought like through Intel resist recently that they received by a Dr. Werner that, uh, this Augusta family jewel that they found, uh, might be more than just like, you know, a run of the mill, like fancy looking jewel, you know, like they're, they're looking for something in particular. And, um, it becomes clear in like that classic pulpy way, you know, That they're looking for magical artifacts to bring back the woman Fabian is seeing in his dreams, who we don't know who she is yet. But, like, suddenly, though, mid-conversation, Fabian lights up with, like, this crazy blue energy. And he begins to float with voices around him saying stuff like, where are we? We must escape. This vessel grows weary and all this stuff. Spooky things, you know. Classic spooky things. But before anything else can, like, transpire, Sebastian just, like, knocks him out with a tea kettle.
1: (laughs) I gotta ask, is Sebastian English? Is he uh, supposed to be English? Maybe I would guess he knocked him out with the tea kettle. His first instinct was grab the tea kettle. He must be English. He's got to be. Yeah, I mean they Might are in London. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I was Ch- trying to read the like get a sense from his dialogue if maybe he was, but I could never really.
0: There's tell. not really like an accent in his dialogue. Yeah, right. It's he's kind of just written out like you know classic like 1930s American.
1: Yeah, of. he does have that kind of <laughs> look about him though that that screams like like droll English. He kind of he's acts the, that
0: way too. He's very like he's dry like, wit. Like yeah, type. he's
1: like the brains of the operations. Like, oh, Fabian. Yeah, you go again with your ghost. <laughs> he'd be uh, like, he'd be, how if, troublesome. If he
0: was older, he he would be played by like Jeremy Irons in the movie. Yeah, like that. <laughs> but yeah, like though. Uh, at this point, though, we check back in Barcelona. And uh, Jazz is working, and uh, she runs like this shop where she sells like, you know, fine wares and stuff like that. Like, it's like a pawn shop, it looks like kind of. I'm not really sure. They don't really say it outright.
1: Exportaciones Universales. Just random cool things. Spanish.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so she's like, you know, running her shop, and she's confronted by a strange, like, zombie like being who demands to know where Fabian Gray is. And he like leaps at her and she pulls a gun from under the counter, which he quickly hits away. And when he has her pinned down, she reaches for a nearby crate and just pulls a grenade, (laughs) like just decimating like her shop and the zombie man with it. Uh, And then we cut back to London and Fabian wakes. Uh, He looks around the room for like a second and he smiles at this picture, which has Sebastian himself and the woman like he, that's in his dreams, And uh, when he walks out to the balcony, Sebastian's sitting there and he's waiting, and he tells him that he's been out for four days, which is pretty crazy. And like they have this heated conversation where Fabian admits like he's been losing control like this more often. And uh, Sebastian tells him, like, he's like, demonic possession is nothing to scoff at. And he even pleads for Fabian to be more careful, saying that he'd be no use to anybody dead, you know? So it's like, he obviously cares about him. They're, they're not just, like, business arrangement. They're, they're friends, you know? And uh, Fabian says he can't afford to be careful, like, with what's at stake. And we get this nice, like, you know, little emotive moment from Sebastian where he tells Fabian he doesn't blame him for whatever happened and he tells Fabian he shouldn't have to carry the weight of this like on his own. But Fabian says he knows he's like, I know I can
1: bring her back. Like, even if it kills me, Uh, nice detail in the artwork too. He's got a, uh, he's got some stubble. Yeah. Where he did the four before. days. The four yeah. days. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> yeah. He, he looks pretty rough. It's an easy detail to miss. Yeah. And like Sebastian reluctantly like stands up to give Fabian a letter containing information for their next mission. And I love how he literally says, uh, is from one of my contacts, an old chap from Cambridge. Something about a strange stone, spider gods and the like. You know, spider gods. As guys. if to, it's as if to say to the audience, just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> like and You're like, cool, I'm down with this. We then get like a cool panel of Fabian reading the letter and the ghostly images behind him in like this cool, like streaking way. I love that little detail there where he's they're all just like behind him floating away. And like real quick. We cut back to Barcelona and we see that Jez is rescued and she calls out to warn Fabian. That How is she is
1: alive? <laughs> her, I thought that same thing. Her, her shop exploded. <laughs> it has an entire page She pulled a grenade right it. next to her. And she's like, it's Pulp Go. Her makeup it. is still like kind of
0: on and stuff too.
1: Yeah. She, maybe she ducked behind the crate or something. I don't she know. She would know. <laughs> but I'm just like... <laughs> like jesus you're...
0: technically technically we see so in the way that the panels are structured we see that she pulls it and the very next thing we see is the the splash page of it blowing up it would not explode that fast so maybe she kicked it maybe the zombie tried to get away and she was able to duck behind something i don't know okay i'm making excuses but still
1: no no it's it's all good <laughs> i just thought it's it's always funny but yeah it's like, no i'm fine it's okay. She doesn't even come back for this story anyway. So, oh, well, <laughs> like, what the fuck.
0: Well, I mean, she, she you know, uh, she she's just not in the rest of this volume at least. <laughs> but uh so we then jump to an unknown location, uh and we see like this disciple of an evil council communing with like the masters, and he speaks of how they will soon have the powers of Fabian Grey, and he reveals himself to me a man named Iago, <laughs> which is a classic bad guy name. Classic.
1: Isn't that the parrot in Aladdin? It is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but like, so skipping over to Oxford the next day. Wait, wait, wait. Before we skip over to Oxford the next day, yeah. right here, I was telling you beforehand, I got a lot of Hellboy vibes from this book. Yeah, yeah. This is like what I'm talking about right here. Spooky when gothic. When Iago's communing with the the evil c- council yeah, people. Yeah. C- castles and like there's a skull sitting on a like a shelf and j- like just the way it's drawn. Definite Hellboy vibe, so I'm not sure if uh, Mr. Mooneyham? Mr. Mooneyham is a Macnolan fan. I'm sure that he is. But as we were kind of discussing, Hellboy pulls from like pulp type stuff anyways. Yeah. So it's hard to say, you know, it's all, it's all kind of cyclical. I don't know. But I would I, imagine... I really- I would imagine Mooneyham definitely likes me. Okay, but way. I definitely <laughs> definitely dig the parts of this book that kind of evoke like that Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, and so. that and that sequence is a really good example of that for sure. Especially because it's not like it does for the entire thing; it kind of sweeps in and out. Which... Yeah, it, it, you get a good variety
0: of like the a different nice genres. Variety, like you know, yeah. the the adventure is very much uh, at the forefront, but then you get those like I'd say probably like thirty percent of like the dark horror stuff. Yeah. And like, and it's a really good mix. This guy,
1: Yago is mm, <laughs> <it's> unsettling. <laughs> yeah. Good bad guy design. Yeah, he's
0: cool. Like, but yeah, so we do skip over to Oxford and the next day uh, we see Fabian actually visiting the woman in his dreams, but she has a rogue streak in her hair this time. Which apparently she always has uh, in, the, in the flashbacks we see later, but we didn't see it in the first flashback. So I was like,
1: "Did she get that rogue streak from a, a dumb mutating machine in the Statue of Liberty?" <laughs> Probably. Does anybody get that reference? I don't know. It's okay. Maybe they had
0: an, un, an <laughs> they have an adventure in the Statue of Liberty, so like, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So like, uh, you know, we find out you know she's there, but she she's you know she appears to be in a coma, and uh, it's here we find out that uh, this is Fabian's sister. So there's no weird, like, love triangle thing between, you know, them and Sebastian. That's an interesting dynamic. <laughs> yeah. It's his... Because because I forgot to mention, when we see him look at that picture or earlier when he wakes up, she's sitting next to Sebastian. Sebastian has his arm around her. Yeah. Like, they're an item. And Fabian is just kind of sitting off, like, in the booth with them. And, like, you think it's, like, some weird... Love
1: triangle thing at first. At least that's where my mind went at first. Well, uh, sure. You know, I think that's like, where you, you most people's minds would go. I think that's more the trope, I guess. That's what's interesting about it, though, is that the the woman he's trying to save is not a lover. It's his sister. Yeah. And then his partner is his, it's his twin, Actually, we should specify it. We find out later it's his twin. OK, <laughs> but then the his partner, Sebastian, is her, I guess, significant other or her her partner, her yeah. lover. Yeah. And that's such an interesting, that's a different dynamic than what you would typically get in. That's true. I mean, really just any piece of action adventure fiction like this. It kind of strengthens Sebastian
0: and Fabian's relationship too without having to like spell it out. Yeah. Like it shows that, you know, they're working together. Like they obviously care, but it's like even relevant from the last scene where Sebastian is kind of like begging him (laughs) to like take it easy. Like, you know, it's like it's obviously they do care about each other, you know, like in a family sort of
1: way. Well, I mean, and that's interesting, too, because typically you would get the one who's like the significant other would be more bullheaded and like, I got to do it. Whereas this time he's he's the one going, hey, you're you're no good dead, you know, like, yeah, yeah. you're her brother. But I'm telling you, be think it think this. I don't know. I just appreciate how kind of different it, it breaks from tradition. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, your mind goes to these tropes. Like I was just saying how I thought that, you know, that's a love interest. Like, uh, obviously, uh, you know, per- and then it's,
1: particularly in this, which is hearkening back to old, you know, pulp from the 20s, 30s, probably. 30s, yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, 100 year old storytelling tropes, th- the fact that it can break from it in that way is... Makes it exciting, yes. Yeah, and like I, uh, I also like kind of like this scene between uh,
0: Fabian and you know his sister, like you know, and it, it's it's kind of just sweet because he apologizes for not visiting her lately, and he's like, I'll be back again soon. And um, we like immediately jump to Africa, and we see Sebastian and Fabian on a plane where they are attacked by a horde of spears, bringing them down, and uh, they manage to land in a nearby lake and not die. I love that panel <laughs> layout of them diving out of the plane before it crashes. That is super cool. It's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does a little panel thing, like, where it shows them in different stages, but it's all, like, one big splash page. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when they come out, uh, they are confronted by a spider-themed, like, tribe of warriors. These are the Goshal. Uh Fabian fights them off using the samurai's powers, but when he goes to hit them with magic, his powers go on the fritz and he faints again. And uh, Sebastian... Having been wounded by a spear, surrenders and they take them both away, um, and that's the end of that issue there. But uh, uh, the next issue begins with no—it's like a no-dialogue sequence where we see Fabian and his sister growing up, like being adventurers together, and uh, they're just having a ball. They're just raiding ships, fighting people, having a good old time. You know, uh, I do think it's a little weird. It randomly has a couple panels interspersed with an image of uh, swimming sperm
1: that's the first one and the
0: cell split, Yeah, <laughs> and the cell splitting. I mean, I guess it's to show that or to illustrate that they are twins.
1: Yeah. You know, like it's not like you, which, Hey man, if you want to, I don't know if you want to cut to the chase, that's pretty, uh, I mean, it's effective. It, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. it. It's just like, you know, I guess it's to show that they're twins because
0: we didn't know that until right now. But like, uh, I mean also though that that's, that's a fact that's like never brought up again. Yeah. <laughs>
1: this story (laughs) well i mean they made their point in a very blunt way yeah yeah i guess i I gotta say that (laughs) whenever i turn to a new page typically i i turn to that page and my brain sort of does this thing where it it sort of it just sees everything at once and it's not like it takes it all in but as like i turned to this page and i kind of saw everything at once my mind kind of went on the fritz because i'm like wait a minute there's like pirate's Stuff going on in their sperm. I'm like, wait, and then I had to stop and like very slowly from top to yeah, bottom. The, the, I'm like, taking, okay, taking the sequential storytelling. Yeah, because I'm like, why? Why are these things on the same page? And I was like, okay, there's sperm swimming, kids stealing, pirate adventures, <laughs> lost treasure, and then I turned the page and I was like, ah. I get, I get it now, it now. Okay. yeah 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 it's like <laughs> at first glance is a little yeah it is well paced i mean like it definitely
0: it, like, it, like it's yeah. it's pretty cinematic in the way it shows it would help if you uh i guess the 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 term i would use is from uh like if you're reading it digitally the guided view would really benefit this where it just the shows one pa- view yeah it's like where it shows one panel at a time oh uh, like, you know? yeah <laughs> like it's a uh, yeah that's that's kind of nice but um anyway so you know we get that sequence and. uh Fabian wakes up to find him and Sebastian tied to giant totem poles and a crowd of the ghost are gathered around them. And I like how Sebastian turns to him and says, Oh good. You're awake. I was afraid you're going to miss our horrific demise. Smartest. Just classic. You know, <laughs> but Sebastian says, uh, they're preparing them like as a sacrifice and Fabian can't access his powers. And they see this
1: giant spider begin to descend. Classic, above them. classic yeah. misadventure, giant, big spider. These guys that are like the gar- the, the, I don't know what you would call them. The tribe, the spider tribe guys. Go shawl, go shawl, which I found out too.
0: I realized, um, I sh- I was going to mention this, uh, to you beforehand, but, um, I don't think it actually says that's what they're called in the hardcover you have. I no? only know that because it's on the cover of the issue <laughs> where it says, uh. where it says like, uh, blood for the spider God. Maybe it said it at the end of issue one in the actual issues. Cause it says like next coming, like, you know, attacked or uh, imprisoned by the go shawl. Or something like that. Like it's uh, a it's 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 not mentioned. I don't think in the hardcover, is it? Uh-uh. That's
1: odd. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that's the only reason I know that's a, that they're called. Okay, that. but yeah, you know they've got like. Can I count? I think they have eight eyes on their head, but yeah, I kind of like how it. It almost implies the way that they're colored in. Almost implies that they're actual eyes and they're not just.
0: Yeah. They look like really like
1: ingrained in their they heads. They didn't look like just put googly eyes on their foreheads. Yeah. Yeah. So, like it's which,
0: almost like some kind of like weird ritualistic thing or tattoos of some kind or something. I'm not sure. It's they look very like settled into the environment. Yeah. You know? they, like,
1: they are definitely threatening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like so Um, we cut to like actually outside of the temple we see this mysterious figure like incapacitate a few guards and he moves deeper inside as we hear like you know the tribe is Fwalk. chanting they're gonna crack <laughs> <Wook>. the, <laughs> the onomatopoeus clud <laughs> clud that's a good one <laughs> i like that but and he hears you know like them all chanting they're sh- chanting a uh sean rav go like over and over again and it gets louder and louder and uh like, as the spider gets closer to them, they're freaking out, you know? And strangely, the closer this stranger gets, the more the emblem on his chest. He's got this emblem <clears throat> on his chest, and it glows. Then all of a sudden, Fabian blasts with blue energy, destroying the spider and his restraints, and the rest of the tribe scatter, and Fabian tells Sebastian he could feel something in the caves of the temple, something that may help, like, his sister, who I think this is the first time they actually name her, too, Sylvia. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, yeah. But, um... Uh, Sebastian reluctantly follows and they end up in a lair with a ton of the giant spiders and Fabian is like able to fight them off for a while like he uses his magic to like light some fires and uh, like you know it shows him using the, the detective to strategize and he's like throwing stuff to make spikes fall and like you know it's like a video game kind of <laughs> like for a bit I just like this
1: one frame of the wizard pointing to a stick
0: oh yeah, to
1: use for the fire yeah he's yeah. like you make fire you make fire He's like, God damn it, he's a genius <laughs> What a genius Magic uh, And right here, Sebastian says, oh, bollocks I think he's probably English Okay, that makes more sense, yeah Oh, bollocks Oh, bollocks Spiders Oh, Fabian bollocks. Gray, what have you got me
0: into? <laughs> no, but, but yeah, so eventually... There are simply just too many giant spiders. And the tribe starts approaching again, cornering our heroes. And luckily, though, the mysterious man from before jumps in and he's fighting like crazy. He like clears a path and yells to Fabian and Sebastian to run. Uh, The two manage to get away into one of like the cave paths. But Fabian notices the mystery man's like emblem and he starts to like freak out. Like he can't focus. And he like goes into like this daze kind of state. And at this point, the spider cult people are catching up. And we get this awesome sequence where, like, yeah,
1: <laughs> there's yeah. The, there's a guy, a travel guy, riding a spider, like the ride the sandworms in the new Dune movie. It is, yeah, yeah. One of them is just riding the spider. It's pretty cool. And like, we get this
0: awesome sequence. It's pro. It might be my favorite in the whole arc, but it's a uh, where the vampire ghost like appears and he asks Fabian, like, he's like, do you seek my power? And Fabian says yes, and he just starts ripping. Do you seek my power, fleshling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah and fabian says yes and he just starts ripping the spiders and the tribes window like shreds it's really cool and like it's it's like surprisingly i mean we've see, we saw him earlier in the first issue like with that sequence but like <coughs> this is like
1: way more like brutal than like i expected it to be <laughs> i guess just from like well, and when he uses the vampire power he he physically changes. Yeah. Yeah. Versus I think all the other ones is just sort of him. Yeah. Yeah. Just like so. kind of doing the things.
0: Yeah. So like, like I said, it's, it's just super brutal and cool until he goes after Sebastian. Cause he's just like in pure bloodlust. And uh, is,
1: is it almost implied that the, like the spirit is driving at that point?
0: I I would imagine so because like his eyes even change. He can't control stuff. it. Yeah. It's too much. It's for too much for him. Fleshling. And like, so, But luckily, though, before he gets to Sebastian, the mystery dude appears again, and he kicks Fabian away, and he knocks him out. And uh, this dude tells Sebastian there's no time to explain, so they run off to where, like, they meet this dead-end cliff. And Sebastian freaks out until he sees a ladder drop in front of him, leading up to an airship where they all escape. Uh, However, it's not all roses and whatnot, because Iago sees the same scene in a crystal ball, confirming he knows where they are This fucking guy looks... (laughs) good design he's a good design yeah like i don't know how would you describe him
1: we didn't describe him earlier uh disgusting yeah He's
0: super easy. I don't know.
1: He's he's, he's
0: kind of got a neckbeard
1: thing he's going. He's rotund, on. but he's also angular. Like he, he looks like more of a kind of a bulbous round guy, but he's got these features that are sharp. Yeah, and he's got super long fingers. Sort of unkempt and, and, and... witch fingers. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know. You kinda just have to see a picture of him. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's a he's a good villain design for sure. Like, so then uh we get the uh the next issue, which starts uh with a professor speaking with a class about collective unconscious human dreaming. And this is where we get kind of the hints to the lore stuff about like the literary ghosts and like, you know, the, the, the idea of ideas influencing like the consciousness of human beings, like altogether. Like he basically talks about a theory of how we all like, as a species are connected through this and how it would explain how civilizations separated by a vast space and time could somehow have such similar stories and ideas, you know, like throughout time and space, basically, like the bell rings in the class and everybody leaves. And as the professor walks around campus, a car drives by and beckons him to it, and a man in a Nazi uniform sits in the back with He's the Professor. He's working fucking Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And proclaims, "There is news, Elliot. We found him." Ooh, intrigue. Yeah, that's there's what I get. news,
1: Elliot. We found him.
0: <laughs> but now back on the skyboat. Uh, the mystery man tells them that they are nearing their destination, and it is the forgotten city of Shangri-La. And this uh, reveal page of the city is sick. And uh, I yeah, it looks like uh, almost like it could be a poster. Yeah, I always I dig it. I always love this splash page that you have to turn onto the yeah. side
1: to. That's a very nineties thing. That's yeah, <laughs> like cool. It's pretty rad. They're like we find uh, Fabian Im- Image Comics presents an astonishing tale of adventure <laughs> and excitement. That's very like sixties. You know, they really, and... they really went all out with the
0: uh the descriptors and things yeah. like that, like for, for these issues. It's really fun. And just the design element of like those uh title pages. Yeah. It yeah. just puts you in the mood for a story like this. But yeah, so like we find Fabian and he's waking up from a nightmare of the vampire, and uh Sebastian tells him he had a terrible episode. And I gotta point out this panel where Sebastian explains it to Fabian because uh it's Fabian in like full vampire mode with a red like watercolor style background to emulate the blood but below his legs we see Sebastian's glasses and if you use like it, it, the visual as a silhouette it makes up Sebastian's head I really love that it's just like a cool striking panel oh uh, <laughs> like I can, can kind of see it yeah. yeah yeah I don't know I, I love it when they interest yeah when you just put attention to detail like that is is, is really cool but anyway so like. Sebastian tells Fabian like he won't believe where they are, you know, and, and uh, so they go out and they kind of marvel at the city. Sebastian takes Fabian to meet the mystery man and we finally get a formal introduction for him. Uh, his name is Zhang or Zhang Go, I guess. Guo. It's G-U-O. So I'm not sure. Mm. Go.
1: I'll say go. Shang Guo. Shang is Zhang Guo. I'm not really. <laughs> I'm not up on my Mandarin. I mean, so. neither. Yeah. And uh, but he's the ruler of the Forgotten City. He is getting fanned and fed (laughs) wine. Yes, he is. Like, I guess you would, if you ruled Shangri-La.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, he surprises Fabian by telling him he knows all about his condition and, uh, also says he knows his powers derived from the shards in his chest. Uh, Fabian is unsure of Zanguo and, uh, looks to like a nearby weapon, which Zanguo assures him he he will not need. Instead, he, uh, (laughs) dives into like his origin in a cool sketchy style flashback. Um, this is where we get the explanation for Fabian and seemingly Zango's like, conditions, as he calls them. Um, it all works through artifacts known as dreamstones. Uh, Zango explains, uh, using, like, a similar motif to the professor's lesson at the beginning of this issue, he says— uh, I'll just quote it here, but um, it's kind of a—it's a bit of a long thing, but it just kind of does the whole thing here. So, he says, Man has dreamed. He has created impossible fictions, pulled story and myth from the ether, yet it's in us all, ever-present— Others find only entertainment, escape, or something, or sometimes more sinister endeavors such as kingdoms and conflict. Those who tap into the dreaming can focus that creative energy into enduring art. But what of these dreams? Is it really impossible for them to take physical shape? Pure crystallized story, could that exist? We are all in the dreaming, a pool of unconscious energy, wherein all fiction is contained, every idea, every myth, every story, in the most pure sublime form— the Dreamstone has always served as man's conduit. Um, so the ghosts are manifestations uh, of uh, literary figures, yeah, and ideas from like the consciousness of humanity. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a pretty cool way to explain the magic lore of this story. It's got some like Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman style shit, but it isn't
1: confusing or too convoluted. There, <laughs> <you> yeah, <know? laughs> like this is way more in depth than I was expecting something like this to go with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, you you don't really expect them to explain everything, but they actually put the effort in to
1: yeah. be like, "Hey, this is how it works." And I'm not I'm not saying like it, it I'm not calling it simplistic or lazy or anything like that, but the way this has read since page 1 is that it's it's a classic pulp adventure and it's more it, about the adventure, I guess. It's about the adventure, yeah.
0: Which I would so say that the don't, story don't,
1: still is right you know, exactly but, but because of that i was already on board and i was like like okay he's got five ghosts like yeah like, whatever <laughs> whatever i'm on board yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah the fact is they they wanted to give a a concise they, they thought about the lore like yeah you said, yeah so. which
0: and, and it's presented in like a pretty you know it, it doesn't take up a lot of time it's just like you know it's here if you're interested here's the answers that, yeah
1: like, that is know. a good example of how this is old meets new yeah it's a very old style of storytelling with some modern uh modern you know devices or world building stuff that we're more used to these days yeah and
0: i feel like it just it's it's very well balanced in that regard and it makes it just more interesting i think yeah definitely but yeah um i i I will say too just on the idea of you know basically (laughs) You know, because I mean, if I had to boil it down, I'd say like, you know, OK, what they're saying is we as a species have put stories into the ether. They exist in some astral form and they are accessible through concentrated stones that hold the power of those, you know, ideas, basically. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Um, I dig that they are like literally literary spirits, like like how we were talking about earlier, how it's like, you know, Barbary has said like, you know, these aren't like literal ghosts of these people. Right. It's like they're the ideas
1: like, um, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, even on a non. It's very. They're, they're alive in like a meadow way. <laughs> like yeah. <we> just- <laughs> but if you consider even in a non fantastical way, someone like Sherlock Holmes, he's part of the. Like, at, most people are going to know who Sherlock Holmes is. There may not be an actual, like, a mystical ether where all these exist. But in the sense that some of these characters are timeless and everyone just knows about them through cultural osmosis. That's kind of how I look at it as that's sort of the real world equivalent of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. I don't know. I just dig the whole idea. And this explanation is kind of a fun thing to ponder on, you know?
1: Oh yeah. So I could pull, I don't know if I had the, if I had the dream stone, I could pull literary character from my mind or I guess it depends. I it would just have be to be Spider-Man. It would, no, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd be like, Oh, Spider-Man. That's not what I wanted. Okay. <laughs> I wanted I guess I can Sherlock climb Holmes. <laughs> like, I guess I can climb on walls now. Okay. I wanted Sherlock Holmes to point out a stick to
0: me. <laughs> no, no, no. That was the wizard. Oh, the wizard. I want Merlin to point out. He's That's the like, me make fire from magic. Doesn't seem like the best use for Merlin, but Do, we
1: do you know who uh, Ramu is from Final Fantasy? Which Final Fantasy? Any of them. Ramu. Ra- Ramu's a summon.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, okay.
1: The design of the wizard in this basically looks like Ramu from Final Fantasy. That's so cool. I uh Mooney I caught you. <laughs> so um
0: from here on though, Zangwo uh explains how he was once an adventurer to like Fabian, and he found his stone and was literally turned into Zhangwo by that spirit,
1: making himself and the Forgotten City like a reality. Yeah, it kind of begs the question. Well, does it say does it say it? Well, well, no, we know that wasn't the case. I was just about to entertain the idea that maybe Fabian was different before he got the Dreamstone, and then he changed. But we know that's not the case.
0: I think the implication really and they do kind of go into this later um, is the fact that like because he has too many spirits in him, they're all kind of trying vying for him. Yeah. At a point, which is interesting. Um, oh, that's rad. Yeah. saying. <laughs> But yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's an interesting aspect of Zhang, at least. But he he goes on to say that he has never felt like such integration between an artifact and its host as with Fabian and his stone. So he tells Fabian it's undoing him and reaches to see what it has done. And uh, we then see these strange, like, tentacle-style roots Glowing with energy on Fabian's chest, and Zhang is like shocked. He's like, "Uh, that's bad," <laughs> and uh, it's undoing Fabian's physical form as yeah, well as pretty his soul. Bad. Yeah, yeah, it looks really messed up, and like. However, Zhang says uh, he has access to like this special spring below the city, and he believes it can heal Fabian and give him control over his powers again. But before they can make the trek down, one of Zhang's like helper ladies, who was fanning him earlier, uh, cries out in pain and is quickly possessed in the same way that the man was at a uh, Jez's shop, like the zombie man from before. So she like immediately is all zombified and uh, she attacks Zhang, but Fabian is quick to like cut her arm and head off with a nearby sword. And Fabian could like barely stand after this. So Sebastian and Zhang rush him down to the spring and uh, Sebastian's panicking saying they have to get Fabian in now. But Zhang is, he's like, you know, it has to be a choice. Like you can't, you can't just go into this thing like, you know, or be put into it. Like you have to make the conscious effort. I like how Zhang
1: didn't even comment that his lady has just got her head cut off. <laughs> turned he's, into got a zombie. he's got more. I he's got more. He's got a whole forgotten city. But of it wasn't of even like, oh, Brenda. He's
0: like, that was my favorite fan lady. <laughs> But but yeah, Fabian like musters up the strength though, like right here to say, he's like, he's like, I'll do it, you know, before they string him up on this like weird, like almost crucifix contraption. Yeah. Like just to dunk him in. (laughs) And uh, Zhang explains Fabian will undergo like trials in the spring and it brings like your, your deepest fears to light and you must confront them. And uh, they lower Fabian into the spring and wait. And I like how Sebastian and Zhang's little combo here. Sebastian is trying to be positive and is all like, Fabian doesn't know the meaning of defeat. You know, he'll be fine. You know, all, all these like classic like hero trope things. And Zhang is all like, I don't know. He's strong, but I'm nervous. To which Sebastian replies, uh, you really are a grim bloke, aren't you?
1: He's a bloke. He's English. He is more English He's than totally we remember, English, apparently. But- <laughs> you really are a grim bloke, aren't you? Yeah, damn it. We'll have to fan cast this at the end, but uh, <laughs> I'm going with uh, Guy
0: Pierce. Oh yeah, yeah, he'd be good. Yeah, I would like him as that. But yeah, <laughs> their their conversation though here at this point is cut short when they hear the sounds of attack above. Uh, they surface up uh, like you know to the city. And they find like fireballs destroying everything. And Iago appears before them riding a dragon. That's sweet dragon. And he says, hell is empty and all the devils are here. And that's how that issue ends. That dragon's way too cool for him. (laughs) It is really cool. Um, I do want to comment on this real quick because we're going into the fourth issue. I love the cover of this issue.
1: Oh, him being dragged down. Yeah. Oh, those are all the. Yeah, I completely thumbed past this the first time. Those are all of his spirits dragging him down. Yeah, it's super cool. With just like the plain white background. It's awesome. Oh, no.
0: But yeah. So the fourth issue opens with this uh, awesome full page of Fabian engulfed in the water. And uh, this is basically the trial episode <laughs> issue. Um, we see him go through a test of each ghost, like while he's submerged in the water. Uh, so we'll go through them here real quick. Um, so we start with the archer in which Fabian saves a bit ba- like he saves a trapped fox. From like a bear trap. And uh, the archer spirit appears before him and smiles before the fox's head like morphs into Fabian's own head. And it's like some weird trippy stuff. And he is then attacked by this big old bear, which he fends off
1: in order to let the fox escape. And the archer spirit then says, pass. So is this... When I read this issue, I kind of came away from it going, this all seems kind of a bit simplistic. Yeah, all the trials are pretty simplistic, aren't they? But... Then I was starting to think about, like, what what are they what are they testing, though? Because it's not like they just straight up say. So I thought I was, I, they, was like, I'll save it for this discussion. It seems discussion. like they, they each test a different thing. The fox seems like it's, I don't know, maybe empathy?
0: Yeah, yeah, like some kind of kindness thing. Like, you know, it's like the idea of, like, helping some something
1: weaker than you, I guess. Uh, Even though you might die. The, uh, the archer's kind of a troll, too, because when he picks up that fox and his head turns into... Isn't That's it, kind of a weird start, thing, isn't he it? He starts yeah. laughing at him. He does laugh like, at him. He's like, uh, yeah, gotcha.
0: <laughs> but, uh, and, and it's kind of this issue, you know, between the tests is kind Pass. of interspersed with what's going on up sure. front, up top. And, uh, we do see backup talk but at this point that Iago demands <clears throat> to know where Fabian is, but Sebastian and Zang tell him to fuck off. And, uh, so he burns the shit out of them with his dragon. That's where we cut back to Fabian. <laughs> and like, so, uh, Fabian finds himself in a dark ghostly world with a ton of rats and the dead body of Sebastian. And uh, he jumps out of a window and finds his way to like this specific house after being chased by the detective ghost. At which point the ghost says pass. I wasn't sure
1: about this one. It's I It's might... 220B Baker Street. It's where Sherlock Holmes lives. I
0: get that. But like was the test just for him to walk to the house? Apparently so. That's a weird test.
1: That, yeah, that's what I mean is this, this one I'm not sure. Especially because there's like a guy that explodes out of the ground and tries to grab him. Yeah, which looks like the detective to me. The detective uh yeah, I'm not sure
0: yeah that's a that was just a weird one to me and that's the one that I feel like is the most like Yeah, we just need him to run <laughs> somewhere <laughs> or something like you know it it, it it just seems like a strange one but yeah so we check back up top and uh it turns out that even though Iago burned the shit out of them Zhang saved both himself and Sebastian using his stone's power and Zhang uh Tells Sebastian to save himself and begins to fight Iago, who cuts him with a sword. Uh, Iago is also a total creep and licks the blood off it all weirdly. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I believe it. Further proving that he's just a total creep. But um, Fabian then enters uh, a great hall where a spirit tells him uh, she will give him three answers. And he asks what this place is. And she responds, you are in the dreaming on trial by the very spirits you contain. He asks what they are. She responds with more lore and world building. She says, pure creative energy, ghosts from the dreaming. You've imprisoned them in your body and they are not pleased, but you may earn their compliance. Hence, you must prove your worth. The ghosts take shape from man's stories. They are reflections of your fiction. He then asks what they ask of him for this trial. She communes with the wizard, who we see at this point, um, who demands to see him use magic by answering a riddle. And, uh, The riddle is uh, the loftiest cedars I can ear, yet neither punch nor mouth have I. I storm wherever you give me meat, wherever you give me drink, I die. Which I did not get.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm terrible at riddles. I wasn't even going to try. I was like, I bet they answer it in the next couple of weeks. They will. Yes, they did.
0: And we we, Not before we cut back up top again, though, real quick, because Zhang has his stone stolen by Iago during their fight uh, while Sebastian prays for Fabian to return. It's getting pretty grim. Uh, Fabian, meanwhile, is frustrated and can't figure this riddle out or what to do. He cries out that everything is his fault and apologizes to Sylvia before it comes to him. Fire. So he lights some shit on fire and passes that test, <laughs> <laughs> which seems like the way that it seems like you could just do that by accident by getting frustrated. Yeah, totally. But, but, but um, we then see, get some uh, beautiful pages of him in a field uh, facing off the samurai spirit. Uh, they have this cool silent fight and Fabian gets the samurai knocked down, but he shows him mercy and, uh, you know, like bows with respect and, uh, earning a pass from the samurai. Um, we cut back up top once more. And uh, Iago destroys Zhang's Dreamstone, effectively making him rapidly age and
1: die. I was kind of bummed that they got rid of him because he seemed like he was going to be sort of a third companion or uh, kind of coming out. I also wanted to point out, because you would find this
0: uh, uh, relevant, um, uh, he dies like when he rapidly ages is very much like the Flash in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) Like the way he ages and dies.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, back up real quick. Yes. The way they I'm assuming it's uh, Miyamoto Musashi in that samurai armor. Yeah, they did. One of my favorite things here is when you want to depict a samurai mask looking sort of menacing or ghoulish is they drain all the color out of it and you just get these two little beads in the eyes.
0: Oh, yeah, dude, that that I think that uh, in terms of just the, the art.
1: Yeah, I think
0: that this might be my favorite like sequence in this trade Um, I just I'm a sucker for this is kind of like a tropey thing to do with like the samurai character quote unquote but like it's it's really cool yeah I really like it definitely but yeah Um, so you know yeah fucking Zhang dies like the Flash we knew ye well except we didn't (laughs) and uh, as Sebastian screams out no uh, Fabian enters the domain of the vampire spirit who has a chain collar around his sister Sylvia's spirit. Uh, so the last issue, like that, that's just how that issue ends, which I think is a pretty cool cliffhanger. The end? Yeah. <laughs> but like, so the last issue of this arc, uh, starts with another flashback, but this time we so see. this was the original run then basically. Yes. Issue five is the end. In- okay. Yeah. It was originally just a mini series. Five issues, five ghosts, five issues.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the last issue starts with uh, another flashback, uh, but like I said, this time we see Fabian acquiring the Dreamstone, and uh he basically like betrays a guy for it, and then convinces Sylvia to read a spell, which goes haywire, putting her in that coma we saw her in. Definitely, you know, kind of makes me go, ah, uh, Fabian is definitely not like. A hero, at least not yet. Like it's an interesting choice to hold back on that reveal until the end.
1: Virtuous, yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's interesting to hold back on that reveal until the end, essentially too. But it does make me more like invested in in the story, I think too. So, like Iago is just wrecking shit, killing people all over the place. Sebastian runs to find Fabian, and Iago follows. Ah. Fabian is like apologizing in the presence of the vampire and the spirit of Sylvia like he he just doesn't even know what to do like he's claiming everything's his own fault and that he is too weak to save her and the vampire proclaims that Fabian has failed no pass for him and so <laughs> Fabian begins to drown like in reality and in the dreaming and he's then transported like to a white purgatory state where Sylvia is there to greet him. And he begins to apologize again, but Sylvia takes over the conversation quickly and she says, uh, Hush, don't let this be the end, brother. Stop worrying about me. I'm not another treasure for you to chase. For now, you need to be strong. Save yourself. Go. Fight for the ones who depend on you. I'll be waiting when you're ready. And like newly renewed by Sylvia's words, Fabian finds himself back in the presence of the vampire. And he proclaims that like the spirit he has chained up is not his sister, and says he will not fail to make things right. He ends by like demanding the vampire's power, and the vampire's like,
1: "Yeah, right on, pass." So is this I guess he where just he gets had to his costume. Like, uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I kept thinking it reminds me of something else. I think I might be thinking of. The car ghost writer, his costume. Robbie Reyes,
0: yeah. It it kind of looks similar. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's got the big, it's almost like Homelander, too. But in the the tradition of sort of Pulp Hero, it's very stripped back in that it's, it it looks a bit fantastical, but it still totally fits the era they're kind of going for. Yeah, yeah. It's very well suited. It's not
0: like totally out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I dig, I dig
1: the look a lot.
0: I dig the look of like every design in this book. Chris Mooneyham, just good job on that. Good, Good job. <laughs> so, like Sebastian and Iago both have uh, made their way down. Like by this point, and Iago is about to stab Sebastian when Fabian rises and uh, goes steck behind him in a cool full-page reveal. It's pretty rad. He just looks pissed, <laughs> which is awesome. And uh, they have this big Dreamstone fight, and uh, Iago is summoning ghouls and dragons and shit, and Fabian is using his powers a little different though. He's beckoning like the monsters back to their stories. Like, you know, like banishing them almost. And uh, when Iago realizes the crazy scary magic won't work, uh, he decides to have a good old fashioned sword fight, which Fabian accepts with the help of the samurai ghost. And uh, he then uses like the detective persona to trick Iago and pushes him onto a giant spike, impaling him and making him disintegrate like Zhang did before. Uh, Iago, while dying, though, says uh, they, there are gathering forces against Fabian, to which Fabian says, let them come. Oh, period. Like a total badass. Yeah. (laughs) But Sebastian and Fabian converse about how, you know, Fabian conquered his fears and how he's ready to go searching for more Dreamstone magic for it is the key to saving Sylvia. And I like his little quote at the end uh, where he says, um, I faced my fears and came to peace with my sins. Sylvia is out there, Sebastian, but before I can save her, I have to learn to live with myself and keep the ones closest to me safe. And uh, then the two of them pose for a sweet poster, <laughs> and uh, it ends with a quoted conversation between uh, Glendower and Hotspur from Henry the IV, um, the best part of which is the quote at the end where uh, Hotspur says, tell truth and shame the devil, basically the thesis for this issue, which is kind of fun. Okay. Um, but yeah. But wait, uh, there's, see, so there's, there's some nice little literary nods. It's, it's not quite annotated like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but <laughs> it has, yeah, it has some no. stuff for you to chew on. Um, which actually I, I will say, um, uh, uh, in one of the interviews I saw, um, Barbary actually said, he's like, he's like, it's not like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where you'll pour over every panel, but we do like to have some stuff in there. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, but Wait. There is a little bit more. There's a stinger at the end here. We see a man witness Siago's death through a crystal ball and his butler interrupts him to tell him Elliot and the Nazi man from before are there. And uh, they talk of how their puppet failed and how the council is not pleased. But the new man says uh, they have the upper hand because they know all about Fabian Gray now, but he has no idea who they are. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And that's the end of the first arc of five ghosts.
1: Fucking Nazis.
0: (laughs) It's always Nazis in these. But you know who? Yeah, I mean, you you want a villain that you can hate, you
1: know? Oh yeah, it works every time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so um, uh, I guess you can start at the overall section here since that's the story. But I'm, uh, yeah, man. I mean, like, what what'd you think? It has the it's it's a nice classic feel. Uh, to me, this is like the definition of a of a palate cleanser. <laughs> like for when, it, when oh. I'm in the midst of all my superhero stuff or whatever I'm reading, you know, it's a uh, this is just like a fun, cool thing, and it, I'm really glad that we did it because I have not read this in years, and yeah. Uh, I just love the tone and I love the way it's presented. It's like it's such a great balance, like I was saying before.
1: Uh, so I'm going to cheat a little bit because I read this entire thing. I read past this. Oh, OK. Yeah. So the hardcover encompasses the first two arcs Um, based based off of the initial five. Yeah. Very fun. Just kind of throwback pulp adventure uh, with a cool concept. Yeah. uh, Nice, nice old meets new. Kind of, yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it, definitely. It was not too, I didn't feel like I had to dedicate too much of, uh, what am I trying to say here? It was an easy read. Yeah. it's easier to take on. You don't have to worry about all this, you know, years of lore and <laughs> continuity and that kind of shit. You can just kind of come in and just... It, it it reads very easily. Yeah. I appreciated it, it.
0: And the concept is is like one of those things, like I said, um when I first heard the idea, that's what made me go, Oh yeah, I'm gonna read that for sure or pick up this book, whatever. But yeah. like but it also I feel like it's just as equally important to say that like it it really delivers sure. on the idea. Yeah. And and delivers more than I think it even has to (laughs) for me to like this story. But it just makes me like it more that they put more effort into it. Um, I'm specifically referencing what we talked about earlier when when we get the exposition dump about like the lore and stuff like that.
1: Well, yeah, Um, when you present something as a a. I don't know if this was sold as a quote unquote pulp adventure or whatever, but it definitely was like it. OK, so you look at
0: the cover of like the issues and stuff like it's just like So
1: going into it with that sort of mindset, you kind of would know. I don't want to say you would have expectations, but you would go, okay, it's pulp. I know, I know what this is. It's going to be a fun adventure. But the fact that I think they went that extra step to sort of do a bit of world building and you can tell that they've thought more about this. Oh yeah. And obviously, you know, it carries on into there are more issues that explore the ideas they set up more. And yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, I'll say like, uh, just to get a bit more specific here, cause I just have something to say about this as well. But, um, I wanted to ask you how you felt about, like, the writing specifically. Um, mostly because, like, uh, Barbary has said something interesting about how nowadays, and he said this, like, back when this came out, so this was 10 years ago, but, <laughs> but like, uh, um, he, he, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he said, like, uh, nowadays writers and artists, like, are what he called post-genre. Like, we've kind of seen it all, so now the ideas are more about, like, mixing up the genres or finding what is particularly cool about specific genres Mm. and that whole approach really fits the aesthetic of this book to me because it feels like a perfectly distilled piece of story for like this type of story at least and like yeah it's just a like a perfectly mixed concoction of like all these ideas i think
1: no, nothing overstays yeah. it's welcome really I yeah think. nothing nothing of this felt like filler yeah or maybe you you would get that with older you know 20s 30s serials stuff yeah yeah or just like tropey
0: shit that like either doesn't hold up or you're like what the hell are they going yeah are right you wasting my yeah. time with this <laughs> yeah yeah definitely <clears throat> but yeah like so the writing like in particular struck you in that way as well like where it's just kind of like you know it's just it's pretty
1: hyper-focused but like Let's the story breathe, I guess, is
0: the best way I can describe it.
1: I think I'll put it like this. I never thought about the writing consciously. That's a good thing, though, I think, like, you know, because it just presents itself so well. Exactly. Uh, It was written the way it was written allowed me to just kind of like go along with the adventure. So I guess in that regard, it's yeah, it's it's well done or doesn't pull you out at all, I think. I can't, point. I can't summarize what you just said about their, the way they plan, the way they aimed to write this post post genre, post genre. He yeah. said, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is an interesting take, um, uh,
0: just to like get into his headspace a bit and be like, that makes sense. Like when I'm thinking about that and reading it, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm like that, that's, that's cool. Um, so, uh, the elephant in the room here, uh, let's talk about the art a little bit. So it, it is obviously a big standout <laughs> for, for everyone. Um, it's, I, nothing short of perfect. For, great for this type of story, um, especially the vampire shit. I love the vampire <laughs> stuff, like those sequences in this, and then like, yeah, it it it's just it's it's fascinating to me how, um, you know, I guess if you just eyeballed this and you're like, oh, Mooneyham, he he does like a a throwback he style, but then you think about like literally everything he does, like even if they're just short sequences you know you have the samurai fight dream sequence you have sure all this stuff he paces and draws all those so well without it like feeling like you're jumping to a totally different thing like and that's just so impressive to me i think like in in retaining the style and the it, the story never loses the tone and like it, it it ebbs and flows perfectly with those different genres he throws in i think
1: yeah i i i can tell the man has a diverse he probably has many interests. Yeah, because it it just it seems a little too authentic.
0: Yeah, well apparently too, like with um him going to the Kubert school, uh, it wasn't like he just went to the school like he he actually like studied under Joe Kubert. He's like iconic comic book artist, you know. So it's like it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, but like, yeah, he's just he's just awesome. I really I know he still does stuff, but he really doesn't do like a lot. Huh. Like, at least that I see. Like if you look him up on like you know. Is basically his uh, his back catalog. You'll find stuff from like recent times, and it still
1: looks great, and he's still doing good work. But he just doesn't do a lot of work. So even though this art style is obviously <laughs> suited for this type of story, I can't help but look at it and think, you know, what what would his Superman look like? That yeah, kind of, it's sort of like Darwin Cook, who has a very specific style. And uh, I think I I revealed to you just before we started recording this that new DC New Frontier is my favorite comic ever. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Darwin Cook's artwork. But you look at it, and if you had never seen like traditional superheroes done in that art style, you would seen it done, I don't know. If you had seen something kind of like this, a story done from, well, not from this time period, but like from the 50s done in Darwin Cook's style, it would make sense. So kind of in the same way, I'm looking at this stuff going like, oh, how would if these guys did a book, which maybe they have, I don't know if they did a Marvel or DC book, you know, what would their versions look like? I want to see that.
0: That's the thing is like um, with OK, Barbary has has worked for all the major companies, basically. Yeah. Um, But for the most part, like he kind of sticks to like just doing these like one off like graphic novel size projects. Like, you That's know, cool. which, which is cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, I, I'm I'm glad that he does this things that he wants to do. But like, you know, like in terms of like his work for Marvel, like he wrote Avengers World for a while, which was like a side book during like the Jonathan Hickman era of Avengers and whatnot mm-hmm. that kind of added just extra context and things, which is interesting. But it's not like a main title or really like a character like focused run, you know, like it's just like random stuff and like right and Mooneyham seems like he's kind of had a similar go at doing like other things where he hasn't really gotten a chance to do like you know a character defining thing or anything like that which is a shame um Uh, maybe both these guys just prefer to stick in indie world yeah and I mean more power to them yeah in that regard because they're both fantastic and they should just keep doing work that they're passionate about you know yes but um yeah, it's just one of those things that like I, I just I wish that I I had a bit more from both of them, or at least more of one specific thing from them. Yeah, in particular, I guess this is a good segue to talk about the fact that this series, the third arc, ended in like 2015, and we haven't gotten anything wow. since. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a shame that I don't know if we're ever going to get more of this, but at the same time. This kind of story lends itself to not necessarily needing an ending. <laughs> I was just gonna say <laughs>
1: like all those know, like serials from the twenties and stuff, I don't think they were ever really designed to end necessarily. It's kinda of just the on the ongoing adventures of Yeah.
0: And that's true. And and to be honest, this is something that they could pick back up in ten years. Go- in ten years, and I'd be like yeah, I'll buy the new Five Ghosts, yeah. like you know, and 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 see where that's going, and and pick it up, and probably not even need a refresher, you know, like yeah. which is cool. But like, I will say that that's the one kind of turnoff for me nowadays of like recommending this book to people. Like, not that I you know didn't just recommend it to you, and we've had a good time talking about this volume, but like indie books to me, like I think of it, and I think of these like big spanning things like. Saga or uh, Invincible or, you know, things that I've really enjoyed and been like, oh yeah, the world of indie comics, so cool and so great. Um, you know, and there's many others, like miniseries that I love and, and things like of that nature. But I guess Saga a bad example because it's still going. But my point is these stories have a beginning, middle and end, which is something you don't get in, in major comics a lot of the time. So that's like kind of a big appeal selling point in my head to these. And the fact that this one doesn't have an end is kind of like, Sure. it feels like i'm just waiting on it and we and we haven't gotten anything you know um but i still think like you know just because of the the type of story it is like and and after talking with you about it here like <laughs> this is worth like you know people still going
1: out and checking out oh yeah absolutely <laughs> like <clears throat> you know it's a pretty i haven't i haven't read the other volumes past this one but t- to me it, it never at any point did it feel like these were setting up story arcs to have them like lead to something big and I don't know. Yeah. It just always felt like, it's like, oh, here's a standalone adventure for a couple issues. Yeah. And then we do that and we go do another thing. What if Fabian Gray did this? Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it's a, and, and that's, and that's cool. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate that. It's, it's kind of, I know we didn't talk about it because it's the stuff that happens after this in this book, but it becomes more of a globe trotting kind of thing, mm-hmm. which to me is total kind of like a James Bond. Yeah. And the third arc, um,
0: might be my favorite. Okay. Um, and that one's very hyper focused on the, uh, the vampire persona, um, and dealing with that, um, which is, which is a lot of fun. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It gets very, very, or, or it's even, you know what it's like, funny enough, the detective Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle never wrote Sherlock Holmes with the intention of, uh, having it be one or no, I guess he did. He did kill him off, but it was, <laughs> it was in a way that was kind of like, Oh, I mean, he's done now. I don't know. Yeah. But Sherlock Holmes, it's they're all they're all standalone adventures. Yeah. And then he killed him off in one. And then people bitched for what what is is kind of the release the Snyder cut of the day. People said <laughs> release the Moriarty cut. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're like like oh Sir Arthur, how could you? I loved Sherlock Holmes. Won't you write more? And then eventually, I think like ten years later, he finally went fine. I'll fucking write another one. And then he started writing more after that. That's funny. So yeah. Kind of, kind of like one of the characters that appears in this book. Sort of, just it's like no, nah, he's just he's on adventures. Fabian Gray just have is some, with
0: it. Fabian Gray is somewhere out there in our dreaming conscious ether.
1: Yeah, and he'll return one day, hopefully. That's how it ends: <laughs> is when he gets summoned as a ghost for someone else. Ooh, later on. That's true. As as Frank Barberry's ghost. Yeah. <laughs>
0: to tell him to write. It, more zoom, it zooms
1: out with him, and then it's like it's Frank Barberry writing five ghosts. And then he gets the Dreamstone, and then he he can now summon the ghost of Fabian Gray. If Frank Barberry still has the five <laughs> ghosts within him, so it's like it's like layered. It's super meta bullshit. That's it. that would be, if if Frank Barberry did that, I would be like, you've been reading too much Grant Morrison, shit. yeah, and <laughs> Neil Kamen stuff. Like, just stop. He turns he turns to to like wink at the reader, and then. Yeah, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, pop their heads, and then you. it zooms out
0: again, and it's Chris Mooneyham drawing that scene. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and then we don't know who the who the who the final one is. It's us, the readers. Yeah, it's a it. You turn the page, and it's like silver, and you see yourself in there. <laughs> there you go. That's too much. We got. We wrote the ending for five ghosts. If it never happens, it goes, that's just the publish most, that. The most meta ending yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we were the five ghosts all along. Wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Every human
0: has five. Go- There's the oh, this is too much. Yeah, <laughs> well, okay. Well, with all that being said, I think it's fairly obvious. But this, it was this a pull or a drop for you then?
1: Well, I would pull it, and I guess technically I did pull it because I read past the yeah, so. you read past it <laughs> past the point we were supposed to read. So from. I'm gonna say pulled it. Nice,
0: <laughs> nice pull. Well, yeah, I mean this was fun. Um, uh, I, I did you know like I said. Um, it was cool going back to this cause this was like pretty early in my comic journey, okay. you know? And, um, I just hadn't visited it in a while or really thought about it, but it's always been on my shelf. I've never thought of like getting rid of it. You full know? circle. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a, a lot of fun. Um, we'll have to do some more indie stuff at some point. Yeah. Cause I like to venture out a bit more. I guess most of the ones that I suggested to you though were like somewhat had like an occult horror angle to them at some point. Hey, so, man, that stuff is always cool done in comic form. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, there's tons of examples. Um, but yeah, man, no, thanks for doing this one with me. Of course. a lot of fun. We'll do another one soon. Yeah. Probably not five ghosts, but we'll do something else. All right. That'll be just as cool. I'll see y'all again soon. Yeah, so there you have it, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash noneofmyfriendslikecomics. That way we can continue to provide you with even more great content. Uh, It's never expected, but always appreciated. You can follow the show on Twitter at nocomicfriends for updates, or you can email the show with your comments, opinions, and thoughts at noneofmyfriendslikecomics at gmail.com. And if you mark it okay to air, we'll read it on the air. We just want to get the word out about this show, so tell your friends and family who might be interested to give us a listen. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you on the next page.